Coming up. Yeah, we'll get some woke trainer. Gives a great big long list of what we can say, what we can't say. We are not somebody's thought police. With many of us finding ourselves more isolated by working from home or as part of a socially distanced office, it's been an opportunity to re-evaluate our personal and working lives. A workplace can be more productive if it embraces an inclusive culture. But what do we actually mean when we talk about inclusivity? Digital learning that's dramatically different. Welcome to this TED Learning Podcast. Hello, I'm Justin from TED Learning, and I'm joined for our podcast today by Catherine Mount, our inclusion and diversity expert. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Um, firstly, what do you think we mean by creating an inclusive culture? When we're talking about inclusivity, I would define that as saying that no characteristic that anybody possesses, and I mean, ideally, we'd say no characteristic at all. In terms of the law, we're talking about protected characteristics that are under the Equality Act, and that none of those characteristics would be a barrier to anybody achieving anything within the workplace. So that everybody would feel respected and that they're capable of achieving any promotion, of making sure they have equal pay to somebody else who's doing the same job as them, that they're involved in decision making that might be relevant to them, for example. Um, So that all of those opportunities are available and that there are no barriers that are related to those characteristics. And why do you think that having a diverse team is a positive thing for an organisation? I think there there are so many reasons, actually, which are incredibly positive. And we know from lots and lots of research that actually a very big one for an organisation is that it does improve your bottom line. So workforces are more productive if they are more diverse. So it really is actually that basic. You know, we know this is good for an organisation. So there's there's two sides to it. There's the organisational benefits, but there's also the individual benefits. And actually, they both go hand in hand. From an organisational perspective, if you are looking to have a more diverse workforce, then you have a larger talent pool to choose from in the first place. So you're likely to get people who are even more skilled than you might otherwise if you're narrow that pool by not being diverse. Uh, We know that workforces can be more creative and more innovative the more diverse they are. And this could be for all sorts of reasons, but certainly because, you know, sometimes if you have more diversity, then you have more diversity of background as well. So different life experiences that people bring into the room. So they're likely to be more creative and more innovative. We also engender a culture of respect within the organisation. And if everybody is feeling respected and included, then actually they're more likely to work to the best of their ability. So when we talk about that bottom line improving, it's a lot of the time it is because we have a more productive workforce because they're working to their better ability. It builds confidence and it is it makes you more attractive as an organisation actually because people will see that if you're diverse and inclusive, then people want to work for you. And it's, it's as simple as that. Now, we've both delivered um, inclusion training and often we'll have people saying, you know, it should be about the best person that gets the job. But the reality is that that doesn't always lead to a diverse um, work environment. So what sort of steps can organisations take to create diversity in their business? It's always a, a very contentious point because people do feel that positive discrimination is still discrimination. And actually under the law that is recognised as discrimination. So it isn't actually legally okay to discriminate positively. Um, So 
You could, for example, say as an organisation, well, look, we're not representing people with disabilities, for example, within the organisation as well as we could, because it's something like 19% of working age adults do have a disability. And so if we don't have 19% of our workforce with a disability, then perhaps we're not representing them as well as we could. Um, So we could use that as a reason to say we'd like to increase our numbers of people with a disability within the organisation. But what we can't do is say we're only going to take somebody with a disability for this role because that would be discriminating against other people. So we can take action to say we'd like to encourage people with a disability to come forward for this role. And actually, it's a legitimate business aim that we want to increase that level of people within the organisation. But we can't actually discriminate against other people. So if someone without a disability applied we still have to take their application on merit. So yes, the point is, you know, we wouldn't get into a position where we're not taking the best person for the job, but there are steps that we can take to encourage people to come forward and say, look, you know, we are an inclusive workforce here. You know, we really want to attract people with all these characteristics. Please come and apply. It's a great place to work and encourage people as much as we can. And one of the other things that companies can do as well, isn't it, is is ensuring that interview panels are diverse themselves. Because if you've got an entirely uh, male or an entirely female panel, the likelihood is, whether it's acknowledged or not, there will be some unconscious bias that might slip in, but by having more diverse panels, that should lead to a more diverse workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Unconscious bias is a huge factor in decision-making and is something that, again, an organisation can do to make their workforce aware that that this exists and is a possibility so that people are double-checking all these decisions that they make. And quite right, when you see a workforce that is um, biased in one way, then actually it can be quite off-putting too for some people, which is where role models come into play and making sure that we do have people there to represent certain characteristics so that other people feel drawn um, or feel that it's acceptable for them to apply for those positions. Now when people are told that they're being sent on inclusion and diversity training how do you imagine they're feeling and why? Actually Catherine before you answer that let's have a listen to two of our actors in our virtual theatre. I've never been on an inclusive training course before. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as inclusion, mate. Yeah, we'll get some woke trainer. Gives a great big long list of what we can say, what we can't say. Send us out some PDF. Talk about the types of discrimination. And they'll send us on our merry way, hoping we'll be a little less racist, sexist and homophobic than we were when we arrived. We do get a reaction from people who are in the room, very often not of their own choosing. (laughs) So... People can feel a little like it's not going to be a particularly enjoyable experience because it can be an emotive topic, certainly. Most of us have encountered this at some point. We certainly do still come across people who feel like, oh, we're going to be told what we're going to say or what we can't say. You know, I need to keep my mouth shut. I'm not allowed to say that anymore. You can't do anything anymore. When we walk into the room to train people that you can tell there's an element of defensiveness in front of you. If that's how people feel prior to coming to that course. What's your sense of when people leave the course, how they're actually feeling? We have a very different reaction. By the time people leave the room, they are much more informed, which gives them some control over what they're doing. So a lot of that defensiveness that we see at the start is is to do with an insecurity about what they can do and what they can't do, for example. Obviously, we don't go in and then say, 
this is what you can say, this is what you can't say, because there aren't lists like that. But what we stress is that it's all about respecting each other. And actually, they know these answers already. And it's just about understanding the law that is sitting behind everybody's behaviour and the way we interact with each other, knowing what's there and being aware of it so that they can avoid it, but also still maintaining a, a friendly and nice and enjoyable workplace. So people leave feeling much more confident about it actually as a topic. I'd like to talk now, if I may, around the current situation that we're in with coronavirus COVID-19 and the impact that that might have on inclusion and diversity. Now, one of the things that we're all being encouraged to do now is to wear face masks when we're going out and interacting. How might that impact some people with disability, for example, if people are wearing face masks? There's actually been quite a lot about this. My son is profoundly deaf, so this is something that I keep an eye on a lot um, online. There have been um, quite a few comments from the deaf community about face masks because, of course, people who are deaf uh, or hard of hearing use lip reading as a way to, to aid their communication. So it can be quite difficult if they're not able to see lip patterns there's a really innovative company, actually, I don't know if you've seen this, but who are creating face masks with a window around the mouth. So a, a plastic window that means that you can still see lip shapes, and lip patterns through a mask, which is a, an, an interesting thought and, and one that um, it would be great if that became more popular. Because it's one of those things that probably hasn't been considered, has it? The impact that it has on people who understand how people are by looking at their face, lip reading, etc. So it, that's fascinating that, you know, an organisation has seen an opportunity there to just slightly adjust the face mask to enable those people to be able to still communicate with somebody despite the change in circumstances. I went out a couple of weeks ago. I went to the pet shop with my son. We had some essential shopping to do and he came with me. And actually, the moment we put our masks on, I felt very restricted in our communication. And there were times when I had to take it off in order to, to talk to him properly so that he could see. We all know that we are, some of our facial expression is lost even when you're in Tesco's and one of the staff members talks to you and you try and smile at them. I had to say the other day, I, I am smiling at you. <laughs> like, oh, I can see it around your eyes. It's okay. <laughs> Good. The other issue that actually has come up during this crisis, and it's related to the fact that we're in a global crisis, is the fact that we need to have access for deaf people for any government announcements, for example. And at the beginning of this, it was in incredibly difficult because there's a proportion of deaf people who don't necessarily read English and they rely on British Sign Language as their communication method and they were not able to access any of the government announcements at the start of the crisis and there was a huge amount of anxiety within the deaf community that they weren't getting the messages from the government at all. And a lot of deaf people out there were translating those messages and putting out their own bulletins about it to keep people informed but it was something the government wasn't doing at the start of this. And actually, if you watch the announcements that happen on a daily basis, the, the briefings on a daily basis, we are one of the only countries um, in England that are not providing a live sign interpreter at those briefings. And there is now a legal case been taken forward to say that they are being discriminated against. In the situation that we find ourselves in now, what impact do you think 
the way that we've all been separated for some considerable time will have on the sense of inclusion when we start to go back into the workplace. One of the important parts of inclusion, of course, that we've mentioned already is people feeling respected and feeling as though they really do belong in a workspace. And of course, anybody who generally isn't feeling particularly included at work may well be feeling even more sidelined at this point when we are remote working and everybody is apart from each other. It's a very, very difficult time for a lot of people when it comes to work. So it, it will be interesting to see how we we start to bring people back into the workplace and how we make sure that people aren't left out of that process of coming back in. It will be very important for, for managers particularly to be very aware of each of their direct reports and to, to make sure that people are feeling included in the decision-making processes, included in meetings generally, having regular, really regular catch-ups at the moment, just to be sure that, that we are all keeping in touch people are feeling a part of the workforce. Now there have been some reports of some minority groups being specifically targeted and abused because of COVID-19 and in particular its origins. What would you say that employers should consider given that some people might have genuine concerns when they're coming back to work? I think this is a, a real case of, of being very aware of um, of equality and making absolutely sure that we are treating everybody as equally as we possibly can. Um, the idea that that people may be discriminated against because of characteristics that could be racial or even age orientated, you know, coming back into the workplace, these have been things that have been brought up because we are more focused on those differences at the moment because of the, the medical um, reasons behind that, is concerning when it comes to people coming back into the workplace. So it's something for employers to be aware of, for all managers to be aware of, perhaps to be educating people before before they come back to the workplace. But again, you know, if we stick to all of the measures that we consider to be creating an inclusive environment, it's going to be okay. At the end of the day, it's about making sure that everybody is educated and that they understand what equality is and that it's important that we are all treated equally. I think the main concerns people are going to have are around um, staying safe, of course, and as long as all of those those rules and processes apply to everybody, then we should be okay. You and I both know that we've worked in organisations where people have openly expressed prejudices about um, minority groups, whether it's been in local authorities and people have talked about the traveller community hmm. in quite a negative way. And we've experienced that with managers that have been part of that session. The fact is that in some ways the current situation has made people more kind but in other ways has reinforced some of those behaviours and beliefs. So if a manager is to make sure that people do feel included when they come back, what sort of things should they do if they see some of that behaviour taking place to make sure that it's it's dealt with quickly and that it stops? One of the most important things that we can all do um, at any point to make sure things are nipped in the bud is to tackle them straight away and not to allow something to continue. We may, in some ways, there's something, because this is such an emotional time for people, that we may feel as though we can give a bit more leeway and because everybody's feeling anxious, so we'll 
we'll just let that go. We, you know, we'll let them say that, you know, it's not, everyone's just feeling a little bit um, uptight right now, so it's okay. Well, it's it's not okay and it's never okay. And I think we need to be very aware that, that the rules apply now as much as they did before and that we don't let anything um, go under the radar. So if we do experience anything, if we hear anybody say anything or we witness anybody saying anything, if it's reported to us at all, then we need to be tackling it there and then before it escalates, I would say. So Catherine, if somebody's not a manager, but they see this behaviour taking place, and in, in some cases it might be somebody that's more senior than them, what would your advice be to them if they don't feel comfortable tackling that situation? always talk about it. So find somebody else that you could go to to ask for their advice. Don't don't just bury something. Don't don't think that it's not your place to say anything about it. You know, the only way that we can eradicate that kind of behavior, the way that, you know, people feeling uncomfortable or being made to feel uncomfortable in the workplace is to make sure that we talk about it. So go and talk to somebody about it. If we are going to tackle a situation, if somebody has said something and we've witnessed it, and we are going to tackle it ourselves. I would say just be be very careful to always focus on the behaviour and not on the beliefs behind it, because what we are not there to do is to be somebody's thought police. We're not there to tell them that they're not allowed to think that or believe that. Whether or not we think it's outrageous, that's really not the point. What we can say very, very, um, uh, very confidently is that's not what we say around here. That's not how we speak to people. And that is not how we want to make that person feel. So we focus on the behaviour rather than the underlying belief. And at the start of our podcast, you outlined the value of creating an inclusive culture. If anyone was listening, thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure, what one thing would you say to them is the most important thing to any organisation, to reiterate that point, about creating a really positive, inclusive environment for all staff to work in? Oh, it's so hard to whittle it down to one. Go on, I'll give you more. <laughs> I'm going to give you two because I'm going to say it's one from either side because ultimately for the organisation, you, you will do better as an organisation. Your productivity will be higher and the bottom line will be better. On the, the side of the individual working for you, they will have a better working life and then they are more likely to achieve their potential and they'll be working at a higher level. So on both sides, there are huge benefits. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us on our Inclusion podcast. For more podcasts, please visit our website, tedlearning.co.uk, or you can subscribe through most podcast providers. This podcast was produced by TED Digital. 